Welcome to the FirstMillinerd.com podcast. This is Matthew Milliner, your host for this. My name, by the way, is not Millinerd. My friend Andy Miller called me that in sixth grade. I'm sure I was devastated at the time, but I thought it was kind of funny in retrospect, and I made it the title of my web address when I started one seven years ago. I saw Andy Miller at a high school reunion, and he was apologetic for the fact that he called me that, but I'm, in fact, deeply appreciative to him for giving me a great web address title. Actually, it may not be that great, but the fact of the matter is I'm stuck with it, and I appreciate the fact that you read, or in this case, listen along. The purpose of the podcast today is because I was about to write something out on Millinderd, and I thought other than the fact that I was going to violate copyrights by doing so, it was not most effectively achieved in print, or as it were, blog format. It required the human voice to adequately communicate the thought. And that thought is a comparison of T.S. Eliot's Journey of the Magi, a poem that he wrote in 1927 to chronicle his coming to faith, joining the Anglican Church, and William Everson's poem, The Wise, which in many ways is a reply to T.S. Eliot. Not in the sense of a refutation, because William Everson had come to faith as well. Like Eliot, he had a following in in a literary circle. He was part of the San Francisco Renaissance. He was a beat poet, but he became the beat friar. He became a Catholic in 1948 and later joined the Dominican Order in 1951. He left it thereafter, but he maintained his Catholicism. And he wrote this poem, I think, to convey a different tone. And that tone comes best across through a recitation. So with no further ado, we'll start with Eliot. We'll go on to Everson, and then I'm going to read to you an interesting passage from a commentary. Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter, and the camels galled, Sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away, and wanting their liquor and women and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn we came to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill, beating the darkness, and three trees in the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, 
Six hands at an open door, dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information, and so we continued, and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place. It was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember, and I would do it again. But set down, this set down, this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence, and no doubt. I had seen birth and death but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here, in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods, I should be glad of another death. And now, The Wise, by William Everson. Miles across the turbulent kingdoms they came for it. But that was nothing. That was the least. Drunk with vision, rain stringing the ragged beards... When a beast lamed, they caught another and goaded west, for the time was on them. Once, as it may, in the life of a man, once, as it was, in the life of mankind, all is corrected, and their years of pursuit, raw-eyed reading the wrong texts, charting the doubtful calculations, those nights knotted with thought, when dawn held off and the rooster rattled the leaves with his blind assertion, all that they regarded, under the sign, not as search, but as preparation. For when the mark was made, they saw it nor stopped to reckon the fallible years, but rejoiced and followed, and are called wise, who learned that truth, when sought and at last seen, is never found. It is given, and they brought their camels, breakneck into that village, and flung themselves down in the dung and dirt of that place, and kissed that ground. And the tears ran on the face where the rain had. Different poems, different perspectives on what it means to come to faith. Neither are naive, both are dark in their own way. 
And maybe at the end of the day, it's just different personality types. Some people would gravitate more towards Elliot. I happen to gravitate towards Everson. But both are important. At any rate, Merry Christmas, everybody. I'd like to conclude with a passage from Dale Bruner's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Now, why would I bring that out after poetry reading? Well, because it struck me as I read it that this is a sort of truce between a debate that happens on my website that probably puts most people to sleep. That is, the debate between Karl Barth's perspective on natural theology and a broader perspective on it, as can be found in Calvin and more robustly in the Orthodox and Catholic traditions. The German theologian Karl Barth was profoundly suspicious of natural theology throughout his entire career. There are a few opening points that you might exploit that he mentions here and there, but the rest of the tradition has been much more positive towards it, seeing as something that leads towards faith in Christ doesn't get you there but it can direct you there. And this is no abstract theological debate, because the journey of the Magi that we read this time of year is the locus classicus for this migration, for grappling with this question. These magicians, these astrologers, came to faith in Christ. How did they do that? Did they get the scriptures when the Jews were exiled in Babylon and that's how they calculated it? Or did this come about through their searching the texts of their own traditions? Who knows? And it seemed to me that Bruner, in his commentary on this passage and his incredible translation of it, got to the heart of the matter. And so like on Christmas Eve 1914, in the trenches of World War I, when the British troops and the German troops met at no man's land, exchanged Christmas greetings and permitted one another to bury their own dead. So I thought this passage from Brunner could bring peace to warring parties over this crucial issue, bringing a unofficial truce for the Christmas season. Because certainly, this exquisite, brilliant passage from Bruner's commentary on Matthew chapter 2 is something that both sides inevitably must be able to agree upon. And here it is. The Magi's story can also teach a little doctrine of revelation. The star, revelation by creation, leads the Magi to Israel's scripture in Jerusalem, revelation by scripture, which in turn leads them to the child in Bethlehem, revelation by Christ. It is interesting that the star of creation does not lead the Magi directly to Christ. There is an intermediate stop in Jerusalem in the Israelite church where scripture is opened, and only then is focus finally given to the star's light and so direction to the Magi's search. The star brings us to Jerusalem. Only scripture brings us to Bethlehem. Creation can bring us to the church. The church's Bible brings us to Christ. To be sure, the star reappears, but significantly, only after the scriptures say Bethlehem. God's revelation in creation raises the questions and begins the quest. 
God's revelation in Scripture gives a preliminary answer and directs the quest toward the goal. Finally, God's revelation in Christ satisfies the quest. Creation's revelation can bring human beings only halfway. Scriptural revelation has the power to bring us home to Christ. God in His goodness is the author of both revelations and uses both. Perhaps it's fair to say that T.S. Eliot is a little more skeptical about the possibilities of that revelation and William Everson is far more optimistic. But the point is they both came to faith. They both found themselves at the manger, so to speak. Speaking of which... Merry Christmas, Millinerd readers. Not that it's Christmas yet, it won't be till December 25th, and then you will have 12 glorious days to unpack the riches, both literally and figuratively. But at any rate, it's not even Epiphany yet, and here I am talking about the Magi. So who am I to make any liturgical accusations?